Heavenly Father, uh, what happened on that first Easter Sunday uh, was incredible. Uh, May it come home to us today in a fresh and powerful way, we pray. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. Just over a week ago, I began to have a bit of a sore throat, uh, a temperature and uh, swollen glands. Well, I thought I'd try a bit of self-diagnosis and went online to search out and to match up my symptoms. Big mistake. Uh, It could be any number of nasties, tonsillitis, glandular fever, even Hodgkin's disease, whatever that is. Uh, I dropped the search at at that point. I see some of you starting to edge towards the door, but uh, just to reassure you, I'm on the mend now. But it did remind me of how fragile our bodies are. Uh, The human body is amazing, isn't it? It's an incredible piece of kit uh, run by what is still the world's most powerful supercomputer. Uh, But the body is also frighteningly vulnerable. There are a million and one diseases which could kill you, and one day one of them may well do so unless the M60 bus gets you first. It doesn't matter how well you look after yourself or how much you've gone to the gym. Uh, Maybe you remember Bruce Lee, uh, the martial arts expert uh, of Enter the Dragon fame, if you're from that era. Uh, He had the reputation for being the fittest man alive. Apparently, he could do over 60 one-arm pull-ups. Now, if that sort of thing doesn't impress you, just have a go at doing two-arm pull-ups when you get home. But Bruce Lee, at the age of 32, he fell into a coma in his Hong Kong apartment and was dead just like that. So you see, it doesn't matter how good your diet is, or how little you smoke, or how little you drink, one day, your body is going to conk out. And what then? Fast forward in your own mind to your own funeral. On that day, uh, what does the future hold for you? Uh, Some think that death is the end, extinction. Uh, Others think Life goes on in some sense beyond the grave. But Christians don't really fit into either category. Uh, They don't think death is the end, but they don't think that life just goes on in some sense. Uh, Christians believe something completely and outrageously unique and different. Uh, One of the earliest creeds, that is statements of faith in the church, is what we said together earlier, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Did you notice how the Apostles' Creed ends? Again, it says this, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Do you believe in the resurrection of your body? And do you think it matters? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, not chapter 5, tells you everything you wanted to know about the resurrection but were afraid to ask. Uh, The Apostle Paul argues that the bodily resurrection of Christians will happen and does matter. But his starting point is not our resurrection, but Jesus' resurrection. And that is where the chapter where we're engaging with today starts. That's its focus. Why does this chapter begin with the resurrection of Jesus? The answer is this. Because that historical event, just under 2,000 years ago, and our future resurrection as believers, they are inseparably linked. 
Uh, you'll see from the outline, we're going to look at three aspects of Christ's resurrection, and we're going to trace those implications for us. We're going to look at, firstly, the nature of resurrection, secondly, the importance of Christ's resurrection, and thirdly, the certainty of the resurrection. So, let's look at the first of those, the nature of resurrection. Uh, what does it involve? Well, in Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul writes this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. So you see, uh, Christ died, uh, He was buried, He was raised, and he appeared. Uh, do you notice the continuity? Uh, the person who was raised and appeared is the same person who died and was buried. Uh, the body was crucified and buried, and the same body was raised and appeared. The tomb was empty. Jesus' resurrection wasn't just a mystical, spiritual thing. It was a physical event. Now, it's very important to be clear about the nature of Christ's resurrection. Uh, the appearances to the people listed in verses 5 to 9 were not those of a ghost, of a phantom. It was Jesus Christ raised bodily from the grave. It's interesting when we look in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24. We see there that when Jesus appeared to his disciples... They were absolutely scared stiff because they thought they'd seen a ghost. But Jesus says this to them in Luke 24, verse 39. Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And still detecting a little bit of hesitance in them, he then goes on in verse 41. Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Well, a ghost can't eat solid food. Now, the consequences for Christians is that just as Christ was raised bodily from the dead, we too will be raised one day bodily from the dead. Uh, one of the key words in this chapter uh, in 1 Corinthians is the Greek word Necros, which means dead body or corpse. Uh, the word appears 14 times in this chapter and nowhere else in this letter of 1 Corinthians. When this chapter talks about the dead being raised, it is talking about the resurrection of a dead body, a corpse, a necros, from death back to life, as with Christ. So you see, Christ's resurrection is, in a sense, the prototype. Uh, Christ's resurrection establishes the pattern that all those who have faith in him will one day follow. Do you see what that means? It means that the end game for Christians is not some disembodied, floating existence on clouds playing harps. Uh, we're talking about empty graves. Let me take you again back to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, 
and a life everlasting. Amen. And when we read more widely in the New Testament, we see this theme is peppered throughout of it. Uh, Look at Romans 8, verse 11. Uh, He who raised Christ from the dead, that is the Father, will also give life to your mortal bodies, speaking to Christians. Uh, Romans 8, verse 23. Uh, We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Philippians 3, verse 20. Uh, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. By resurrection, therefore, the Bible means bodily resurrection, just like Christ. And maybe you've heard of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was a great Baptist preacher in 19th century London. Uh, I love the story that after his death, there was a friendly rivalry among his church members who wanted to be buried as close as possible to him in the churchyard when they died. Uh, why? The thinking was so that on the resurrection morning when Christ returns, they wanted to be there with their pastor. They understood this wonderful belief in the resurrection of the body. So, firstly then, we've looked at the nature of the resurrection. Secondly, at the importance of Christ's resurrection. Uh, Does Christ's resurrection matter? Let's consider the importance of it. Uh, Here's a question. Uh, Which is the big day for Christians on the Easter weekend? Uh, Is it Good Friday, uh, remembering the death of Christ? Or is it today, remembering the resurrection of Christ? When you think about it, um, Christians have adopted as their central symbol the cross, uh, not the empty tomb. Uh, And rightly so, because it's only through the death of Jesus that we are forgiven and put right with God. But Christians sometimes make the mistake of neglecting Christ's resurrection, as if it's not really as central. And therefore, you see, what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 15 is a great corrective. If you like, it puts Christ's resurrection back on the map. Did you notice that in that passage, the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel message? Look again at verse 1, we'll start there. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you received unto which you have taken your stand. Uh, By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, uh, you have believed in vain. So, so far we've seen uh, salvation is conditional on a person believing and continuing to believe this gospel message, this good news about Jesus. But here's the question. What is the content of this gospel message that we must believe? We're left in no doubt. Look at verse 3 onwards. Paul continues, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, 
And he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. So you see, uh, together with the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ is of primary importance. Both are foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures, and both, therefore, are rightly at the heart of the good news of Jesus. Paul is saying, if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you're actually believing in vain because actually you won't be saved. It's a core component of what we believe as Christians. And maybe that strikes us a bit harsh. Why is Christ's resurrection such a big deal? Uh, often Christians think of the resurrection simply as uh, proof, proof that uh, Jesus is the Son of God, uh, proof that the cross worked, uh, proof that we will one day be raised again. Uh, and it is all of that, but it is so much more. Because the resurrection of Christ is right at the heart of God's purposes for the universe. Believing in Christ's resurrection is essential. Uh, most of us who would call ourselves Christian would not have a problem with that, and the Christians at Corinth would not have had a problem with that. So the question is this. Uh, why is Paul laboring the point in this chapter? And this brings us to the very heart of the reason he wrote the chapter. Look at verse 12 again onwards. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Uh, do you see where they're wrong in their minds, where they're muddled? Uh, the church at Corinth they had no problem with the resurrection of Christ. They believed that. But what they did struggle with was their bodily resurrection one day, the resurrection of believers. In fact, verse 12 says that some were denying that the dead are raised. And if you deny bodily resurrection, you're basically denying the bodily resurrection of Christ as well. Do you see the connection that Paul is making? He is saying... The two go together. Deny one and you deny the other. If you are a Christian, uh, then belief in your own bodily resurrection is actually non-negotiable. Uh, the Corinthian Christians were being, if you like, inconsistent and illogical. Uh, they wanted to hold on to Christ's resurrection but dispense with their own. But that is something you cannot do. Uh, it's interesting to ask the question, why were some of them denying uh, the resurrection of the body? And I think the answer is the same reasons that Christians today are also tempted to deny the resurrection of the body. Uh, two reasons we're going to see, uh, mad society and bad theology. Uh, firstly, mad society. Uh, this is to say the influence of the surrounding culture. Uh, the city of Corinth was a major commercial center in Greece. And Greek philosophy believed in the immortality of the soul, but it absolutely rejected 
the resurrection of the body. It viewed the resurrection of the body as repugnance. So you see, if you were to say to someone from a Greek culture that you believed in the resurrection of the body, they would consider you stark, raving, mad. Maybe these Christians at Corinth were edging away from their belief in the resurrection of the body out of embarrassment. Well, as Christians today, uh, we need to be aware of the influence of the culture in which we live. If you say to your work colleagues that you believe in the resurrection of the body, uh, how are they going to respond? They'll probably think you'll start raving mad. They'll come up with all sorts of tricky, uh, clever questions ranging from cremation to whether there will be toilets in heaven. It's very tempting, isn't it, to retreat to a more acceptable position of maybe just life continuing in some way after death in a spiritual sense, which many people who aren't Christians probably believe in anyway. And maybe you've been to a a non-Christian funeral where it's common practice, of course, to read that poem, uh, Do Not Weep. It says this, Do not stand by my grave and weep. I am not there, I do not sleep. I am the thousand winds that blow, and so on and so on. Then it ends with, Do not stand by my grave and cry. I am not there, I did not die. Is that Christian belief? It's New Age mysticism. And so Christians who say they just believe in some sort of spiritual airy-fairy thereafter, they're actually buying into that sort of nonsense. What we believe as Christians is so much more solid and wonderful. I believe in the resurrection of the body. I believe in the resurrection of my body. But if that's one error we can make in the face of a mad society, by going with the flow. The other error is that we go the opposite way and we react against the flow of our society. How do you think the body is viewed in our society these days? I would put to you that it is worshipped. It is idolised. Think of the place of sport in our society. Uh, Think of the fitness craze. Uh, Look at the cosmetics industry. Look at the advertising for the body beautiful. That is the air we breathe in our society. And maybe as Christians, sometimes we can then react against it and dismiss the body and say, we're just going to focus on the spirit. But you see, in the same way, we mustn't let our mad society call the tunes, either by following it or by pushing against it when it comes to our belief in the resurrection of the body. So mad society, uh, secondly, bad theology. Uh, There were various ways in which Christians may have a skewed understanding of all God has done for them through Christ. There are various ways in which Christians may have a a bit of a skewed understanding of what we call salvation or redemption. There are three errors in particular I'd like to briefly pick up on in the church today that are worth considering. And I'll I'll list them before we look at them together. Uh, Having a a now focus rather than a focus on the age to come having a soul focus rather than a focus on the whole person, and having a me focus rather than a focus on the whole cosmos. What do I mean? What we're going to see is that a clear understanding of the resurrection of the body is actually going to act as a corrective to each of these errors. So firstly then, having a now focus rather than a focus on the age to come. 
you will hear in some Christian circles when they present the good news of Jesus that the center of gravity is very firmly in this present world, in life here and now. Uh, It's all about uh, coming to Christ will sort your life out now. It will solve your problems now. It will give you purpose. It will help you fulfill your potential. The message often becomes massaged to end up being nothing more than what you'd find on the self-help section in Dimmock's bookshop in the mind-body-spirit section, but in this case with a Christian dust jacket. What is the Bible's center of gravity? Is it in life now? Well, it's true, of course. Many benefits do flow out of faith in Christ in the life now, but the Bible's center of gravity is not there. It points us to the future, to the world to come to eternal life in the kingdom of God. So that's the first error. Uh, The second error we often see in the churches is a soul focus rather than a focus on the whole person. Uh, How many Christians today think that when they die, uh, their future thereafter is purely going to heaven? Because whilst that's true, it is only half of the truth. Uh, The Bible does teach, of course, that when a Christian dies, their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. And that is why, faced with death, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 27, that to die is to be with Christ, which is far better. But the point is this. That death and then presence with God in a spiritual state is just a temporary state. Have you ever noticed that the New Testament hardly ever speaks of looking forward to death? But the New Testament does focus on looking forward to Christ's return. Why would it do that? Because it's at Christ's return, not at our death, that we will be glorified, that our bodies will be raised, that will be reunited, our body and our spirit, once again. And the return of Christ is the triggering mechanism for that glorious event. So you see, uh, salvation is of the whole person, not just the soul. Uh, God created us as whole people, and having bodies is part of God's original good design. It's not part of the fall. Every part of us has been affected by sin, and every part of us needs to be redeemed, including, you've got it, our bodies. And so on that glorious day when Christ returned, every part of us will enjoy the new creation, including our bodies. At one point in Spurgeon's funeral, uh, the minister looked down on the casket and he said this, and I quote, Brother beloved, uh, dear Spurgeon, here for a little while shall your precious dust rest Then you will spring from your couch of earth, fashioned like Christ's body into glory. Then spirit, soul, and body shall magnify your Lord's redemption. It's a beautiful way of encapsulating it, isn't it? Redemption is not just of spirit. It's spirit, soul, and body. And that is when God is truly glorified when redemption is worked out on a cosmic scale to every aspect of his creation. The final error in the Christian churches today is a me focus uh, rather than the whole cosmos. 
Uh, sometimes as Christians, our thoughts of salvation, they are too small. Uh, we think of salvation as just being about me going to be with the Lord forever. And so then we slip into thinking in terms of just me and my soul. And we w- but we wouldn't fall into that trap if we thought about salvation as the Bible thinks about salvation. Uh, God's purposes are not just for me and my soul to be united with him, although that is part of it. God's purposes involve the renewal of the whole material universe. Salvation is going to be on a cosmic scale. Uh, Look at Romans 8, verse 21, which we'll get to in our Susan Romans eventually. Uh, The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. One day, the whole creation is going to be liberated from its bondage to decay. How glorious that day will be. So we've seen the nature of the resurrection. We've seen the importance of Christ's resurrection. And this is all good and well. But is resurrection actually for real? Let's look finally and briefly at the certainty of the resurrection. The starting point for the certainty about the resurrection is back in first century Palestine. Our certainty about resurrection all hinges on Christ's resurrection. Uh, The opening 14 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 actually point us to two bits of historical evidence. Uh, Firstly, the empty tomb. If you read the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they make explicit that the tomb where Christ was buried was empty after the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it is implicit. Look again at verse 4 that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. If the person who was buried is then raised to life and appears to people, what are you left with? An empty tomb. The body isn't there because it is walking around outside. You see, if anybody after the time of the resurrection of Christ, had been able to produce his corpse, Christianity would have fallen apart immediately. Uh, You would have never have heard of Christianity again. If they had been able to produce the corpse of Christ, there would be no church today. Uh, This school hall would be given over to a Sunday dance class, and I would be a ski instructor in New Zealand. But the good news is, there was no corpse. And therefore, it is worth us meeting together today and not handing the school hall over to a dance class. And believe it or not, I'd rather be here with you today than being a ski instructor in New Zealand. Christ's tomb was empty. And it is a powerful piece of evidence. So, the first piece of evidence is Christ's empty grave. Uh, Secondly, there's the evidence of the risen Christ appearing himself. Did you notice the list in verse 5 onwards? It's almost like a a witness list. Look at verse 5. And that's he, that is Christ, appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me, the Apostle Paul, also as to one 
abnormally born. It's an impressive witness list, isn't it? Christ appeared, the risen Christ appeared to individuals, uh, to groups of people, on one occasion to more than 500 people, most of whom were still alive at the time when Paul was writing. The implication for the people at the time was, if you don't believe it, go and find some of these people and ask them yourself. Uh, The impact of one of these appearances is especially noteworthy. Namely, of course, the appearance of the risen Christ to the Apostle Paul himself. Look again at verse 8. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What a transformation. We know, of course, that, of course, that Paul had persecuted the church mercilessly. He'd had Christians arrested and put to death for their faith. But then the risen Lord Jesus Christ appears to Paul on the Damascus Road. And that appearance of Christ stops Paul dead in his tracks. And that day changes the whole direction of his life. From that moment on, Paul's life was dedicated to working tirelessly to proclaiming the good news of Jesus, his Savior. And it was a conviction that he ended up dying for. The resurrection of the body, sometimes when we think about it, It's hard to believe, isn't it? And that's one reason that God has given us, if you like, a prototype demonstration in Christ to help us. Maybe you've seen those kids' programs where they make something, and they usually say, they start off by saying, here's one that I've done earlier. Well, so it is with God, with Christ's resurrection body. Here is one that I've done earlier, and many more will follow if you put your trust in him. So Christ was really raised from the dead, which means that Christians' belief in the resurrection body, it's not hocus-pocus. It's not wishful thinking. It is built on a historical event, a precedent. So can you say the final line of the Apostles' Creed with confidence and with conviction? I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. You can say it if you can also say with conviction and confidence the middle part of that creed with confidence. I believe in Jesus Christ who was crucified, dead and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. You see, to believe that one day you will be bodily raised from the dead. Really, it's totally outrageous. But it's no more outrageous than the belief that Christ was bodily raised from death to life just under 2,000 years ago. So, in conclusion, if you had not yet classed yourselves as a Christian, uh, what do you make of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Uh, Perhaps 
Up to now, you've assumed that death is the end, or maybe that just life goes on in some mystical way. But do you see the resurrection of Christ doesn't allow you to draw that conclusion? So what will you do with that historical event, the empty tomb and the resurrection appearances? Because they're not going to go away. Now, wouldn't Easter be a great time to find out more, to look into the evidence of Jesus having been raised from the dead? There's plenty of great material that's been written on it. Uh, why not take a Mark's Gospel from the table on the back, take it for free and just read it this Easter? And for those of us who are already trusting in Christ, this passage calls us back to a confident faith in the resurrection of our bodies, your body. Now, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Of course you do. Also then, believe and remember your own resurrection because it will one day happen. And that is something to rejoice in and it's something to savor and it's something to look forward to especially as our bodies get older and we suffer the infirmity of old age or the sadness and the hardship of sickness. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this priceless and staggering and outrageous event in human history, the resurrection of Christ's body from the dead, never to die again. Uh, thank you for all the wonderful implications that flow out of that. At uh, the start of your redemption program, the start of your restoration of all things, which one day will be extended to all those who have their faith in Christ, and which will be extended to the whole material creation and the whole cosmos. Uh, thank you for that glorious future we have through, in, through faith in Christ. And therefore, may that joy burn brighter, we pray. And may it encourage faith, a deeper faith and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.